Hello, and welcome to episode 35 of The Jared White Show, recorded July 10th, 2019. I'm your host, Jared White, and I invite you to join me in a curated celebration of the art form that is the web. It's been a big news week, or last couple weeks, in the world of Apple. Rather odd news, to be quite honest. Let's just start right off the top with the biggest story. And that is Johnny Ive, the famed head of industrial design at Apple, who also dabbled in interface design and architectural design working on the Apple Park. Johnny Ive is leaving the company. It's the end of an era. It's the, the conclusion of the, the amazing, astounding run <laughs> that Johnny had with Steve Jobs starting way back in the 90s. Uh, the the original iMac that changed everything all the way through the iPod and the iPhone and the iPad. And then once Jobs was no longer with us, he continued that legacy into the design of the Apple Watch and further genre-defining products like AirPods. Yes, he's leaving. He's leaving Apple. And this has gotten everyone's head spinning. Everyone's talking about it. Everyone has an opinion. Uh... I think most takes on this uh, range from a reasonable assessment of the incredible accomplishments that Johnny Ive had while at Apple, along with you know some of the missteps, all the way to just crazy pants nonsense. <laughs> so I I uh, I hope you avoid the 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 wackier the wackier takes and and look at some some solid analysis uh I, i'm a big fan of renee ritchie who does the show vector and writes for imore.com there's a link in the show notes to his initial article about why johnny ive is leaving apple and uh that's a good summary and there's further coverage further follow-up videos and so forth that renee ritchie has done on his show vector and uh, i listen to vector i watch vector you can Get it in either podcast or YouTube video form. Highly recommended. So that kind of lays out the basic premise of what's been going on. I want to focus my analysis in a couple of specific areas. The first is iOS 7. Now, iOS 7 is still a little bit controversial in the Apple community. There are people that were very excited when iOS 7 was announced and enjoyed that radical new design direction, uh, and other people are still upset about it and get grumpy about <laughs> what a departure it was from iOS 6 and before. Uh, my opinion is that while iOS 7 was not perfect, and while it was a pretty buggy OS release, and while it was certainly a rocky transition from previous releases, in hindsight, iOS 7 was a massive, massive upgrade and a huge improvement over what came before in the world of the iPhone and the iPad. And really, I encourage you, there are links in the show notes to a couple videos here. I encourage you to watch them. The first is the announcement of iOS 6 in 2012. Scott Forstall goes through a bunch of the features that came out in iOS 6. And then a year later, in 2013, uh, iOS 7 is introduced, and uh, Craig Federighi is the presenter there. And <laughs> I gotta say, like, Craig Federighi has turned into 
just hands down the most enjoyable presenter at Apple of anything. Uh, everyone loves it when he comes out. He gets huge applause. And all the way back in 2013, you could you know s- start to see that that <laughs> that personality come out. And I have to say, like you know, Scott Forstall, I'm sure is a great guy and all, but uh, Craig is a much better presenter. Craig did a great job presenting iOS 7 and, you know, kind of uh, cracking some jokes there to set people's minds at ease as they're looking at this new approach. Uh, And not only is the iOS 7 presentation better, but the way that they describe what's going on in the operating system and what they're doing in the interface and why they're doing it, it's so much better. Everything about the presentation is just better. And the, the features are compelling as compared to the previous year when actually a lot of the things that got released in iOS 6 uh, were problematic, starting with maps. So iOS 6 and in 2012, that was the uh, introduction of Apple Maps. And while it was a good idea for Apple to do maps, uh, they really, really, really hyped up how awesome it was and how it was a great replacement for Google Maps. And it just wasn't anywhere close to ready. And that ended up being a huge debacle. And some people think maybe that's why Scott Forstall was uh, (laughs) removed from the company not so long later. Uh, I I think in reality, it was largely due to the fact that uh, Johnny Ive and Scott Forstall just were not getting along at all and not seeing eye to eye. Scott being in charge of iOS 6 software and Johnny basically building these beautiful, minimalist, sleek hardware devices that then run this really kind of strange, gaudy-looking interface. (laughs) So there was a definite mismatch there. Um, But yeah, if you just look at the features announced in iOS 6, and it kind of you kind of go through the the whole rundown there, uh, it's it's a weird release. I mean, one of the things they hopped up was Facebook integration. Boo. <laughs> Talk about a 180. Like a- Apple's done everything possible to distance themselves away from Facebook and that sort of thing now. They've removed all of those integrations since uh, since those iOS 6 days. Uh, so, so all the hype about Facebook integration is super weird. Uh, they did a, a, a redesign of the music app, and it looks really bizarre. Like before the music app was, was you know, kind of simple looking, kind of had a dark mode thing going on. The the bottom buttons were dark with light text. And, it, you know, it wasn't super garish or anything. It, it looks like, you know, sort of like the, the original stock iPhone apps did when the iPhone first came out. And it, they did this whole redesign where it was like this shiny chrome metal kind of thing going on. And it just looked really garish and bright and weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that 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 I don't know why they put a lot of effort into redesigning the music app for that one version because they then completely redesigned it again, of course, in iOS 7. Uh they redid the phone app and that looks super weird. Like just just watch this presentation of iOS 6. Like they they keep announcing new features and new capabilities and everything looks so weird. And Siri, they they were it was still early days of Siri, so they were making big improvements, you know, on a fairly regular basis of of what kind of results Siri would return when you ask different questions. So they are touting all these new sports stats that you could ask Siri about. And they're like these big, crazy game board designs with like these sort of light dot designs for the scores, like you're 
actually looking at a billboard <laughs> or a scoreboard up in up in the the bleachers somewhere. It's just oh man, the the design of iOS six is so crazy. It's just so weird. So much strange, funky stuff everywhere. I don't think they talked about it here, but also in those days, they they came out with their podcast app for iOS, which literally was an animation of a reel-to-reel tape playing as you were listening to the podcast. I mean, I had to give the designers props for doing this incredible animation and having this this whole like wacky reel-to-reel tape thing going on as you're just trying to listen to a podcast. But you know, compared to, to app design today in the iOS 7 and beyond era, it's just mind-boggling that anyone (laughs) would think it's a good idea to have a 3D photorealistic reel-to-reel tape deck playing (laughs) as you're listening to your podcast. It's just nuts. Uh, They did announce Passbook for iOS 6, and that was uh, sort of what eventually evolved into Apple Wallet, and then, of course, all the Apple Pay stuff. So so that was a great idea. It was a cool feature. Uh, And, you know, it that one looked okay because they're trying to make these cards and passbook look kind of like, uh, you know, real tickets and cards and things. And it, it's still kind of the case now. Like even in iOS today, uh, you go in and you get these these tickets and cards and things that, you know, kind of look like the real thing, which in that particular context makes sense. Like if you go into your digital wallet and you're trying to find you know, tickets and cards and things, having you know, really distinct visual designs for those that mimic real-world designs of tickets and cards. Uh, that that makes sense. So, so Passbook was great, but all this other stuff they're talking about in that 2012 WWDC keynote about iOS 6 is super bizarre. Fast forward to iOS 7, and pretty much everything they announce as part of that are, are really, really solid updates that are still with us today. Things like AirDrop, things like having moments in photos. You know, the, the, the Photos app was so much better in iOS 7, the way they reorganized it around moments and that sort of kind of machine learning approach. Uh, the camera got much better. They got rid of that dumb aperture animation thing. Do you remember when you used to like try to take a picture and there'd be like, this big sort of animation of the the camera aperture closing in on the scene and it'd make this big sound like it's an old camera clicking and <laughs> the, the whole shutter thing. Like, it was just, it was getting so ridiculous, all that sort of stuff in the OS. So they, they redesigned the camera app in iOS 7. And what we have today is is, in many respects, pretty much the same thing. Notification Center got way better in iOS 7 with the Today View added, which is the basis of, of you know, all the cool widgets we have now. And that's going to be front and center in iPad OS. So you can have all those Today View kind of widgets right there on your home screen. So that, you know, that, that whole line of thinking started in iOS 7. Uh, things like being able to do horizontal swipe gestures, like, you know, if you're going through mail and you want to do a swipe to, to delete something or flag something. Uh, That was an iOS 7 idea. Uh, Really useful features like iCloud Keychain and swipe up to quit multitasking. Uh, Siri sounded way better in iOS 7. Uh, Like I was saying before, the music app that was redesigned to look really bizarre in 2012 uh, looked way better in iOS 7, and they continued to refine that to the point now where, you know, I feel like the usability of the music app maybe isn't 
super great, but the looks of it is really nice. Uh, anyway, the the point I'm trying to make here is that iOS 7 really was in many measurable respects. I mean, you can agree to disagree on the just the purely visual aesthetics of it, but functionality-wise, iOS 7 was such an improvement over iOS 6. And the reason I bring all this up is because the reason for that is Scott Forstall was ejected from Apple and Johnny Ive took over user interface design. And, you know, while I'm sure Johnny didn't, you know, have that much day-to-day influence on iOS 7, you know, he left that to other people's, you know, Alan Dye and so forth. Uh, clearly, Johnny's leadership in really going back to base principles and kind of, you know, forcing Apple to ask itself, what does a sleek, modern mobile operating system look like? How does it behave? How do people interact with it? You know, really going back to basic principles and coming up with better ideas than <laughs> real to real tape decks in a podcast app. Uh, it was such an improvement. So even though I, I think Johnny isn't really known for his user interface chops, he's known for his hardware, and there's you know, a certain measure of consternation out there in general about you know, if it was a good idea for him to take over UI because of, you know, I don't know, the way the, the f- colorful icons looked in iOS 7, like the photos thing, you know, it was, it was uh, you know, the, the, the aesthetics of the icons was controversial and all that sort of stuff. But if you take a step back, if you kind of, you know, look at it from the bigger picture of, you know, what iOS 7 meant for the platform going forward, you know, how it affects us even years later, uh, clearly the the design and, and sort of uh, architectural approach to what software is supposed to do in the OS, uh, you know, the direction that iOS 6 represented was a dead end that just it was not going in the direction it needed to go. iOS 7 was a major course correction. And we can see even today with the upcoming iOS 13 and iPadOS releases, uh, and even other products like Apple Watch and, you know, the, the latest TVOS and then some of the, the, the design changes in macOS, like everything we've seen Apple do in software since iOS 7 has been a direct result of that major, major course correction. So besides iOS 7, uh, I want to also highlight a product that I feel really embodies the, the, the full brunt of, of Apple's design prowess and, and its legacy, what Johnny Ive was able to accomplish at Apple, you know, the, the thought process around how to design products that Steve Jobs helped lead in the early days when he came back to Apple. Uh, and that product is the iPad Pro. Now, when you, when you read reviews of the iPad Pro, the new design that has the thin bezels and USB-C and all that, when you hear people review the product, usually the kinds of things they co- complain about are related to what the software is capable of. Uh, and a lot of those complaints, thankfully, are now being eliminated with the upcoming release of iPad OS. They've, they've really done a huge improvement in the software to take full advantage of the powerful hardware of of iPad Pro. Uh, So, you know, typically when you hear people talk about failings of iPad Pro as a product for, you know, whatever their needs are, it's almost always related to the software. When it comes to the hardware, usually what people say is 
this is the best hardware Apple has ever made. This is just so great. It is such good hardware. It's it's kind of hard to believe that it actually is this good. Like that's usually what people say about the iPad Pro. You know, the, the Apple Pencil 2 is mind-blowingly good <laughs> as a digital stylus to the point where they're making it even better in iPad OS. You know, they're reducing the latency to like a, a mere number of milliseconds. So it just really feels like as you're moving this digital device, it, it's laying down ink on the screen. It's just, it's incredible how well it works. Uh, the the hardware is so fast. It's so powerful. The, the the chips that are in these things are so good. It's it's really blowing away many notebooks that Apple and other PC companies make uh, that are actually a lot more expensive. The fact that it's so uh, sleek in its design, you know, it's pretty much just a screen that you hold in your hand. Like the original promise of the iPad was was like you're just literally holding this screen in your hand and you can touch the web and all that sort of thing. And it, it really feels like you know the initial the initial iPad was a vision that wasn't quite represented by the reality of that hardware, but you could kind of see where it could go. You know, you could look at the, this device and say, well, you know, this first iPad release in here in 2010, uh, you know, is not that great, but it's better than what anyone else is doing. And where this could go in the future is pretty astounding. And I feel like that future is now. Like, <laughs> whether you get the 11-inch or the 12.9-inch, the latest generation iPad Pros are such a good iteration of the concept of the iPad that I honestly have a hard time imagining, you know, where it could go from here. Like, what does the future of, of what does a future iPad Pro look like? I don't know. I have a hard time thinking of what could be different about it that would be better. You know, if it were thinner, I feel like it would be too fragile. It's maybe even a little fragile now, but I like the thinness of it now. Uh, so we don't really want it to get thinner. If the bezels are thinner, then it's hard to pick up the device without accidentally, you know, touching stuff on the screen. You know, you need a little bit of a grip area there. Um, certainly they can do spec bumps to, you know, make, make it even faster. And maybe they can add more sensors or you know, better cameras or, or whatever. Like they can make improvements, of course. But in terms of the design... In terms of the basic hardware design of this latest generation iPad Pro, it pretty much is the best version of itself. And, and this is something that I feel like is, is, is truly a hallmark of the Johnny Ive era at Apple, is their ability to, to keep iterating on a product that started out pretty good and pretty groundbreaking but they know they can make it even better, and they just keep making it better to the point where you get to sort of the the ultimate iteration of the product. And <laughs> it's maybe a bit of a problem in terms of upgrade cycle. Like, you know, if you have this almost perfect product, like, you know, how do you sell new versions of it later? And, you know, so far they've managed to, to figure that one out. But, uh, you know, I, I feel like you, you can't say that about everything. Like, I, I feel like we have not seen the perfect Mac notebook in a long time. Like, I don't feel like anything Apple is shipping right now, even with the, the, the you know, the latest, like, MacBook Air or whatever. Like, I, I don't quite feel like Apple has the perfect notebook that they can sell you. 
uh, desktop computers, you know, like the iMac and the iMac Pro are pretty solid, but uh, the, the sort of look and feel of it seems dated. There's this big chin and the bezels are really thick around the monitor and it feels like there's a lot they could do there to kind of uh, slim down and, you know, make the iMacs look a little bit more sexy. The, the Mac Mini is a cool product, but it's a very niche product. Uh, anyway, I, I just feel like on the Mac side, there's there's there are certainly good products that you can get from Apple today, but but they're not these sort of almost magically perfect products. And uh, I feel like with the iPad Pro, it, it really does feel like that sort of like just hard to believe awesomeness <laughs> factor going on. Uh, same thing with iPhones. Like I feel like uh, the iPhone line is a little strange right now. Like it feels a little bit compromised in certain ways. Uh, the, the whole notch thing, I'm not crazy about, you know, I understand why the notch is there and in day-to-day use, it doesn't bother me, but it's just, it's odd. Like you would never look at an iPhone sort of completely objectively and say, hey, it's a great thing that this screen has like this big notch in it at the top and it doesn't just have a smooth surface from left to right at the top there. Like nobody would say that's awesome, <laughs> right? It's a compromise. It's a compromise so that we can have mostly a, a bezel-less screen and edge-to-edge display and still have all the sensors for Face ID and stuff. It's it's a compromise and it's it's an okay compromise, but it's it's... It's it's an area where you know the 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 needs of the the technical features of the hardware uh, kind of interfere with a sort of greenfield perfect design. Whereas with iPad Pro, like like if you could just sit down and imagine like oh I just I just want a tablet. I want a tablet. I basically want this display I hold in my hand and I can just touch it and things happen. Like you you would pretty much like without any constraints whatsoever on the technical side you would pretty much design what the iPad Pro looks like. I mean, anything more futuristic would be like some kind of like transparent slate of glass like you might see in some sci-fi movie where you're just kind of holding like literally just glass and you can you know see the display, but you can kind of see stuff behind it. Like, you know, maybe that's what somebody would think a cool futuristic tablet looks like. Uh, but you know, if if it's just if it's just like a regular display that you know is fully solid that you can hold, the iPad Pro design like is that that's what it is that's all it is. And so in that respects, it's pretty much a perfect design. So to to conclude my summary of what Johnny Ive has been able to do at Apple, uh, whether it's with iOS seven or with the iPad Pro, I think uh, J- Johnny's remarkable legacy at Apple is the ability. Uh, not just to come up with some cool new product out of the blue, like the iMac or the iPhone or whatever, but the ability to take ideas that are, you know, are working in the marketplace, but could be much better, could kind of go in a new direction, could could really kind of get to that that place of of that essential basic principles, like true embodiment of the idea without compromise, the, the stuff Johnny Ives always talking about, you know, getting to that essential nature of the thing and just kind of getting away, get, getting rid of all the sort of extra sort of ornamentation or bits of things that are there for technical reasons or some other reason that doesn't really serve the essential nature of the product, you know, getting rid of all that stuff and just getting down to exactly what it is. Uh, I feel like, uh, yeah, that that is the true legacy of what Johnny is able to do at Apple, and I hope that after he's gone, 
Apple continues to have that philosophy. You know, not that you can't add lots of cool whiz bang features or, you know, you know, really push hardware to its limits with different capabilities and sensors and connections and ports and all that sort of stuff. I mean, you know, there's there's a certain line of argumentation you can take that, you know, you, you don't want things to get too simple because then you end up with these machines where it's like there's no headphone jack and there's only one port and it just can't do this or can't do that. I understand that, but I still feel like the the thing that truly makes Apple great at the end of the day is they are able to say no to certain things in order to really say yes to something else. So with the iPad Pro, for instance, you know, they could add more USB ports and they could add a headphone jack back in and they could, you know, have some kind of like little kickstand thing that comes out like the Surface. And they, they could they could add all these things to the iPad Pro design to give it more capabilities. But the but the basic design of this object would suffer because of it. And it would be compromised. And that kind of, you know, no compromise push towards essentialism is what I love about what Johnny Ive was able to do at Apple. All right, that was a long discussion. So the rest of the show here is going to go pretty quickly. Um, Just running down through the rest of the Apple news here. Uh, They made some updates to their MacBook lineup. Uh, They got rid of the MacBook Escape, as some people called it. Uh, it's the, the, the MacBook Pro that had uh, an actual escape key because it didn't have a touch bar. Uh, they're not selling that anymore. They have an updated sort of entry-level MacBook Pro that has a touch bar now. And so all of the MacBook Pros, you know, from the, the base model all the way up to the top-of-the-line 15-inch, uh, kind of has a, a pretty sensible continuum, and they all have touch bars. Um and they've stopped selling the 12-inch MacBook. So the little MacBook Adorable, as some people called it, uh, that, that is no longer being sold. So if you want, you know, an a Apple notebook that's pretty slim and pretty lightweight and isn't as uh, full-featured and expensive as the MacBook Pro line, you get the MacBook Air, and they also dropped the price on the Air a bit and beefed up some of the storage capabilities and so forth. So all in all, setting aside the continuing saga of the the keyboards that are in these things, if you sort of set that aside for a moment and just look at the lineup in a in a basic sense of, you know, pricing and features and power and capabilities and all that. Uh, finally, <laughs> finally Apple's Mac notebook lineup makes sense. It really makes sense. In fact, some people were saying, "Hey, the Quadrant is back." You have, uh, you know, consumer desktops and pro desktops, and now you have consumer notebooks and pro notebooks. And it's really, really easy to kind of see the delineation uh, between these different market segments and the different uh, prices and so forth. Much easier to figure that out than it was before. So, So I think this is a good thing. I know there are some fans of that little 12 inch MacBook that are sad now that the product is no longer being made. But I think I think this definitely simplifies the lineup, and I think you know, I think the writing is on the wall. Like if you do want a mobile computer that's really sleek and really you know really portable, really easy to just bop around with you every day, uh, I really think it's time to to look at the iPad line of things. I I don't think the market for a, a little slim Mac notebook is it's really going anywhere. I think that's that's a shrinking market. 
All right. And then the last thing here is uh, former presidential candidate Ross Perot passed away. Uh, yeah, he, he was a, a billionaire tycoon. He, um, he was very well known in the 90s for mounting the, the most successful third party bid for the presidency in U.S. history. And um, the reason mainly that I know about him, because <laughs> I was pretty young in the 90s, but uh, I knew about Ross Perot uh, as someone who uh, became a, a major Apple fan in the late 90s. Um, he uh, was the first real investor for Next, Next Computer that uh, Steve Jobs founded after he left Apple. Uh, initially, Steve uh, you know, put a bunch of his own money into Next and getting that company off the ground. But when he started to look for outside investment, uh, Ross Perot ended up being one of those initial investors. So in a way, <laughs> you could say Ross Perot played a major hand in the fact that Apple is alive and well today, and we have products such as the iPhone and iPad and all those sorts of things. Because, yeah, you know, as we all know, Apple is around now because Steve Jobs came back and brought his whole Next team with him, and Next Step OS basically became Mac OS X, and the rest is history. So, uh, so you know, whatever else Ross Perot accomplished in his life, he certainly deserves to be remembered for uh, being savvy enough to invest in, in a young company by the brilliant Steve Jobs and helping helping Next really get going. And even though Next itself kind of failed as a company when it was its own company, uh, simply by virtue of the fact that they were acquired by Apple and all the cool technology they were working on became Apple technology, uh, that's the stuff of legend. And last but certainly not least, big news from Warner Media. It has officially announced its rival to Netflix, the the streaming service that will encompass all of the Warner Brothers, just massive treasure trove of content from all of their different brands and studios and all that. they've, They've made a bunch of announcements around this, and this new service is going to be called HBO Max. I think this is genius. I've been hearing about this this whole service coming out from Warner Media thing for a while now, and the, the thing I would always think is, well, you have HBO already, and that's a streaming service that's pretty successful. Like, why is why can't HBO just be the thing? Like, wh- why do you have to launch something else in, in addition to HBO? And so the answer is they, they're launching something that's a superset of HBO. So, you know, there's HBO as we've known it that, you know, has such shows as Game of Thrones and Westworld and all that. So, you know, everyone knows what HBO is. And they're basically expanding out from there, from HBO, the brand as we've known it, to this much larger service called HBO Max that will obviously include all the HBO stuff, but will also include content from Warner Brothers proper, from uh, brands like New Line and TNT and the CW and Cartoon Network. And something I got very excited about when I watched the trailer for this service is uh, Looney Tunes. (laughs) I've been waiting for ages to be able to get on a streaming service that has the full back catalog of all the Looney Tunes cartoons, because I grew up on Looney Tunes and, you know, I'm constantly thinking of quotes and scenarios and, and 
music from the Looney Tunes cartoons. I mean, you know, if somebody walks up to me on the street and randomly shouts, think of a cartoon. The first thing I'll think of is probably a Bugs Bunny cartoon or Daffy Duck or something. Porky Pig. Um, And I haven't really watched many Looney Tunes cartoons in quite a few years because, you know, I don't watch DVDs. I don't really even have a DVD player anymore. And um, and finding uh, Looney Tunes uh, through a streaming service has been pretty much impossible. And and, you know, buying some kind of giant expensive pack of a bunch of the cartoons uh through you know i don't know if it's even on on apple's tv uh store but anyway i'm almost willing to subscribe to hbo max just to get looney tunes <laughs> but it's gonna have all the other stuff too so i'm super excited about this i think uh clearly the the landscape here is shaping up so that you have hbo max you have disney plus coming out soon and you have netflix and these are going to be the the three juggernauts that everyone else has to compete against including apple with its own tv plus service you know so i think you know Amazon with Amazon Prime, Apple with Apple TV Plus, and other services out there. They're all going to have to make a case for why they should, you know, they should exist and be worthy of your dollars. Whereas HBO Max seems like a total no-brainer to me, as well as Disney Plus, you know, Netflix, Disney Plus, HBO Max, like, I feel like, yeah, if if anyone out there is is you know a fan of TV and a fan of streaming services in general, and you know can afford those three services, I feel like you know you, you pretty much have to get those three services. Like th- this is going to be the thing you do, and everyone else is then going to have to make the case for why you should pony up even more cash for their services. All right, that's it for the show this week. Thanks for listening. Uh, This has been episode 35, and we'll be back next week with episode 36. And until then, I hope you have an awesome week, and I'll see you next time. Bye. Jerry Rachel.